This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Corey House. Hello from sunny Kansas City. AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from Provo, Utah. Amy Knight. Hello from Nashville, and I'm going to say happy Valentine's Day to all the uh, female developers out there. It'll be belated Valentine's Day by the time they get this, but... Gal- nonetheless we're, re- we're recording it on Valentine's day so i'm like yes i don't think i've ever heard <laughs> of that uh so it's like it's just to celebrate your female friends okay so. <laughs> it's from a tv show <laughs> that's why i've never but, heard of it like girl power thing <laughs> okay anyways carry on nope it's all good just had to get some clarification I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Everyone else said where they're calling in from. I'm in Lehigh, Utah. We also have a few special guests here. We have uh, Benjamin Coe. Hey, how's it going? We also have Aaron Abramov. Hello. And Isaac Schluter. Hello. We yeah. three are all in the NPME offices in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. Very cool. I didn't realize that the offices were in Oakland. I was in Oakland last week. I would have stopped by. See, now I'm hurt. Well, there you go. That's what I do. I just hurt people's feelings. Breaking um, heart. That's right. On Valentine's Day, no less. So, um, uh, Carol. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so uh, we're talking about testing, test coverage and testing tools. And you all have kind of a different perspective having worked on different tools. So do you each want to just chime in and talk about uh, what you've contributed to the community in that way, and then we can talk about how to think about this stuff and make Amy really mad. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll jump in first because it's kind of where the story starts. Uh, several years ago when NPM was just starting, uh, we didn't really have a clear picture of how we were going to test NPM itself, uh, which used Isaac's tap library and kind of part of how it worked was that it would spawn a ton of subprocesses to, to run the tests. And so kind of we, Isaac and I started doodling on this library called NYC, which is a test coverage library that uh, it basically can handle a subprocess being spawned, uh, capture the output from that subprocess, and give you test coverage on a library like NPM itself to start being able to do test coverage for NPM. At the time, we pulled in this library called Istanbul, which was kind of the incumbent popular library for doing test coverage. And uh, over the years, kind of Istanbul needed more maintainers, and I've gradually become one of the core maintainers to Istanbul as well. Which is so, so I kind of split my time between this 
NYC tool, which I originally was working on with Isaac and Michael Rogers. And then I, I do a lot of work on the Istanbul project now, which is one of the popular frameworks for doing test coverage in JavaScript. So that's mainly where I am interested in the area. Yeah, as far as uh, test coverage, I wrote TAP quite a while ago, and I've rewritten it a few times since. Um, it's a test anything protocol implementation for JavaScript uh, Node, and it it keeps tests isolated by running them in child in separate processes, but that made it hard to use Istanbul. Um, and so yeah, I worked with Ben, and, and I did a lot of the um, incredibly fiddly uh, low level rocket surgery around the child process uh, module in Node. Um, basically like monkey patch the um, the spawn method on the child process class so that once something is covered, it will continue to always be covered no matter how many child processes it ends up spawning. It will always kind of like reattach itself. Um, the problem with this symbol is it worked great for things that are um, not doing any child process work, which for things created by Yahoo, I want to say, it came out of Yahoo, yeah. Yahoo. Um, and for their purposes, they were only testing front-end libraries, which don't spawn anything, so it was fine. Um, but to use that with with most Node programs, that became kind of a hassle. So NYC is uh, NYC itself is pretty minimal. There's actually not that much to it. It's kind of just like the the UX layer, um, and then the, the the really wild stuff happens in either Istanbul or in these other like things like spawn wrap and foreground child that you. A lot of really awful hacks. Yeah, and then I, I pulled that into uh, pulled NYC into TAP and started getting everything that I managed to 100% coverage. And I've, I've, I am very become very dogmatic about that coverage. Awesome. So I work on uh, this framework called Jest. Uh, I work on a lot of coverage features in there. So when I joined Facebook a couple of years ago, so the problems with it was the scale. Um, and under the hood, we use Istanbul, but uh, there was a lot of things that we had to take care of, like how do you run this on thousands and thousands of files and do things like this, and how do we capture transformation? So I think we ended up re-implementing a lot of features that NYC already supports, but we kind of did it in our own way. Um, but yeah, so right now we have um, a lot of kind of like configuration, pre-configured things that we offer uh, with Jess. So all it takes is just install just and run it with hyphen hyphen coverage flag and it kind of just works. But yeah, all the coverage and transformation functionality actually comes from Istanbul. Yeah, and I was, I was just going on to say that this was the major motivation, I think, for, for all three of the libraries was to try to make it kind of batteries included that you would just, without having to set a ton of configuration options, you'd, you'd be able to start collecting code coverage. And the hope being that more people would use this as part of their testing, uh, their approach to testing, if it was just a lot easier to do out of, out, out of the package. That makes sense. Now, one thing that I've always wondered about and, and kind of struggled with with test coverage is that um, a lot of times with test coverage, you wind up getting some false positives. So essentially, um, at least the test coverage tools that I've used, what they do is they kind of measure how much of the code was run when you run your test suite. And so that doesn't necessarily mean that something was tested or tested right. And yeah, anyway, I'm wondering how, how you approach something like that. Yeah, so I have, I think you got to think of this like in a, almost in like a framework of um, harm reduction 
rather than perfect or imperfect. Um, if you have 100% coverage of all branches, all lines, all functions in your, in your code base, that doesn't mean that you've tested every possible condition and, or every interaction between two functions or between two different uh, possible variable settings or, or whatever. Um, all it means is that you've run all of the code. Now, if you haven't run all the code, that tells you something interesting. Like, you, you definitely haven't tested that because the code didn't run. If you have run all the code, it doesn't mean that you have tested everything in every possible condition. It just means that you've run all the code. So at least you know you, you checked one thing off your list of multiple possible things. But there are still cases like uh, you know, like I said, you're you're testing if your first variable is more than ten, then you're testing if your second variable is more than ten, but you didn't test if they both were, or if neither of them were, right? So um, yeah, I mean. To that end, you kind of just have to be good at like making software and thinking about it and writing tests. Like, there's no, there's no magic bullet that takes you out of having that responsibility, but having coverage definitely makes it, you know, easier. Yeah, and I, I, uh, I do think if you start with coverage early on and and are have it in mind and even have it enforced as part of your, you know, from for myself for my open source projects. I'll require a certain threshold of test coverage for someone to land a, a new patch. If you're enforcing that and you're thinking about it early on, you definitely, I feel, encourage testing practices that uh, you know don't test in a superficial way, but do keep good coverage. Because I think the real problem is, uh, I mean, the real problem, I think, more so than test coverage encouraging bad tests is just learning to write good tests, like Isaac says, um, that don't test just superficial behavior. And if you're writing tests that, if you have a public API for your library and you're writing tests for that public API, actually the odds are you have pretty good test coverage. Like the odds are you probably have, you know, 90% plus test coverage if you're exercising that whole uh, public API because you're going to be touching the private methods that it relies on. Um, so, so, you know, the test coverage isn't about writing this little finicky test for 50 lines into private methods in your code base. It's, it's really about making sure you test every state that the public API could get into. And, and that's definitely how I tend to approach stuff. I really appreciate you guys calling this out. Um, you know, I've like, talked to a lot of newer developers who are like, you know, wondering if they should get into testing. And, you know, um, I see like a bad habit that I feel like a lot of, at least I see it amongst new developers. I don't know, maybe it goes even um, people that are more advanced, but um like kind of just writing your tests, running the coverage at the exact same time. And I think the advice that I like to give is like you guys are saying to think through the test that you're writing first um, and then like maybe go back through and run the coverage and make sure like, you know, the automation of that is double checking, you know, that you've thought through everything, but don't just like mindlessly run the coverage without thinking about what you're actually writing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny that it, it strikes me as weird when you talk about uh, developers getting into testing because I, I think of like I don't I don't know how you are writing software without doing that like yes yes well I mean even if, well, even if it's just like a shell script <laughs> and make sure it returns something like did you run this ever and if you did why not put the running of it in a program and then that's your you know that's your test yeah I I mean We'll get into. So it. I can. As, as, as Chuck said, like <laughs> I, I am a strong proponent of testing. Um, and 
but unfortunately not everyone is. So, And to give the other side there, I think that's an interesting point. And I can totally appreciate why you guys would have that mindset. But I think about how often I've been on teams where uh, there were so many barriers against testing in the first place where you inherit a project that is not written in a way that's testable, where the company doesn't even have a test framework selected, where your coworkers aren't familiar with it. And it can feel like you're swimming upstream to even write the first test. Uh, and in fact, you can also end up under a manager who doesn't believe in it. And if they find out about it, can say, hey, we'll just manual test. So there, there's all sorts of reasons that I sympathize with uh, people who uh, aren't testing because the environment that they're in is actively uh, fighting them over it. So I, I think from, from my experience, I mean, I go to conferences all the time and I ask people, hey, how many in here believe that automated testing is important? And you'll see almost everyone raise their hand. And then I say, okay, how many of you uh, developers uh, actually are consistently testing, and I see consistently well under half of the room is doing so. And I think that's some of the reasons why. Um, so I I sympathize. I don't I don't I hate for people to feel uh, like oh I'm not a professional because I'm not doing it because I remember there were some jobs that I was in that I was going man if I was going to write automated tests I'd really have to fight hard to get this going. And early in my career I still didn't understand what I was missing either. Yeah, I, oh, I, oh yeah, for for yeah. sure. Like some, I just believe, like I I will try my best to find a company to work for that values that. But yeah, we're not always that fortunate. I think it's confession that, time here because uh, I've been working on this. <laughs> no, I've been working on this SaaS product, right? Well, I, I eventually I think intend to release it as a SaaS, but you know, it's to manage the podcasts and the sponsorships and stuff like that. And I was in a hurry to get it out, and so. I just wrote the code. I kind of spiked the whole thing, which is uh, sort of the the term for writing it without tests. And I still haven't gotten around. I, I It's now growing into kind of a large-ish code base. And I still haven't gotten around to um, writing the test for it. And I think a lot of times we get into that place where we're moving quickly and we're trying to get stuff done. And all of a sudden we realize, you know what? I don't have any tests on this. Or... Um, you know what, I, I need to keep my momentum up. And you can for the short term on smaller projects, but eventually the, you're going to have to pay the piper because eventually it's going to become so complex that the only way to keep all of it straight is the test. And so we're not, we're not saying, hey, you're doing it wrong if you're not doing tests. What we're saying is, is that eventually you're going to wind up paying for it. It's, it's definitely not my intention to, uh, to test train many new, de new developers, but uh, if you're listening to this and this is you and this, you're relating with this situation, um, maybe polish up your resume because not all places are like that. And I was going to say, too, for, for me, as a maintainer of some fairly large open source projects, like it, it just it really helps inversely. It really helps new developers onboard and contribute to these open source projects if there's a clear framework for them to Tribute within, like, oh, I see I've written this new feature. Oh, I just need to write some tests for it. And if I can see the test coverage go up, I know I've appropriately contributed. It, it just provides, yeah, it provides guardrails for newer developers to contribute to open source. So it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, I find it much harder to dive into a code base with no tests as a new developer because there's just not many guidelines about how I contribute to it. Definitely that. And you can, you know, use the test to understand the system as it should be behaving like in a larger scale. 
I would also Actually, add that you can be confident moving forward because if there are tests there, that means that somebody has said, I assume that all this stuff is going to work this way. And so if I get in and start messing with stuff, if the tests all pass, I didn't break anything that somebody codified a, an assumption around. And so I can just go in and bang on stuff and try and break it and see where it breaks and see where things fall apart and really get a good handle on that stuff. I also sympathize thinking about uh, not that long ago, front end code that I was writing that was uh, jQuery uh, and was very difficult to code because of how, or very difficult to test because of how tight it was to the DOM. Uh, and the world today has gotten much, much easier. I think about, you know, today in React, for instance, how uh, modern frameworks, React, Angular, Vue, all of them are much more friendly to automated testing than the days of jQuery. So some of those that are, are stuck on older libraries and tools um, have a tougher time picking this up as well. So I do want to say like one final thing about this, then I'll probably try to be quiet for a little while. So our conversation has been like a little binary. Like we've only talked about like two different cases, like the cases where like people want to test, but not necessarily like, you know, everyone in the company is buying in. But the other scenario that I also see that's outside of that is I see a lot of developers really excited about the JavaScript ecosystem and all the new stuff to come out and play with. And, you know, they get in a company and, they kind of have this decision to make, you know, like maybe, you know, management has given me X number of hours to, you know, um, either like X number of hours at my discretion. And so with those, with those hours, do I spend my time, you know, writing tests if they're not there and making, you know, the software better, um, easier to work in stuff like that? Or do I spend this time like playing with a new library? And I think, unfortunately, I've seen, uh, a lot of developers go with the latter option and then, you know, the software suffers because of it. I don't think it's actually that bad. Um, <laughs> times, uh, for example, I remember I had a five hour flight from San Francisco to Atlanta and I had like this five hours on the plane and I thought, what if I just hack on some new library that I wanted to hack on for a while? And I kind of had a choice whether like I'm either writing the whole thing without tests and I'm just making it work in five hours that I have, or I start from writing tests and I'll probably not going to finish it in five hours. And I'm probably not going to be that excited about this tomorrow. And I'm probably not going to finish it ever. So we can, we can agree that TDD is a buzzkill, right? Like we yeah. can agree that that's not <laughs> Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So well, it can be. Yeah. Right. <laughs> finished it in five hours and I was excited and I actually got the MVP done, and I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. It's kind of like, like I'm working on a, actually a new test coverage tool, and I will admit that I started by writing no tests for it. Because <laughs> it's, yeah, it is a buzzkill, and you want to see it working initially. But I do very early on usually go back and start to try to figure out my strategy for testing if I know it's going to exist for longer than two hours. I, I think so. I think an important point. Like there's, there's a spectrum, there's this like continuum between. Um, you know, I'm writing this thing and I'm going to throw it away. It's like, I, I just want to like download a bunch of files from Dropbox and I don't want to have to go through and click, 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 click. So I wrote a little node script that's going to like pull from their API. And like, when I have my file, I'm going to throw this script away and never see it again. I'm not going to write tests for that. Like, this doesn't even make any sense. Um, and like on the far end of the spectrum, there's like, oh, this is a critical part of the infrastructure that like my company 
depends on, and millions of developers will have a terrible time if it fails even a tiny bit. Um, okay, that should probably have a lot of tests. And like in the continuum there, there's like spikes and you know, I'm try I don't know how this thing is gonna work. Let me write a little like proof of concept, like just spiky one, you know, one module program and see if it works. And then, you know, I'm I will take parts of it out and split it out and organize it later. But like there's no point writing test for it ahead of time in that case because you don't know what you're testing yet. And I think most of the products that we kind of work on are this kind of exploration phase where you don't even know. It's not like a one file script. It's actually a product where you don't know if it's going to take off and become a big product and critical part of your infrastructure or architecture, or it might just die. So yeah. sometimes you just write whatever you want. You don't focus on tests. And if it becomes that product that is really critical, you kind of have to at some point stop and think about how am I going to prevent bugs from happening? How am I going to improve the code quality? You only need tests for code that you need to work. <laughs> and that sounds, sounds like that sounds like a flip. Like, oh, you know, only brush the teeth you want to keep. But like, actually, you don't need most code to work. You just write it. And you're going to throw it away or rewrite it. So, fine. Sorry, failing program. Uh, throw it away in the garbage. I mean, it's also uh, you only need tests if testing it manually is sufficiently painful to justify the time spent on those tests. So I think about the example of uh, if the application is so trivial that I can test it manually, or if it's something that is so short term, if it's something for a trade show next week, uh, spending time on automated tests may not make a whole lot of sense because I probably won't get enough value out of it before we throw it in the trash. So there is value, but it's very short term value. I think that... It depends a lot on how well-known. I mean, I think that's what everybody's kind of been saying is how well-known what you're doing already is. If you're writing something for the first time, you're exploring, you want to write tests to the extent that, that a particular function does what you think it needs to do for a couple of use cases. Um, I think that TDD works really great for katas, homework assignments, for waterfall projects where you know, all the specifications have already been made and that, I mean, kind of the general feel that what's been said is absolutely accurate. You know, it just depends on what your what situation you're in, how deeply you're going to test or uh, if you're going to start test first or throw in test after or make test part of the second right of the, the, of the thing. Sometimes bugs are cheaper than tests. I think production is the best test 